is no longer really an opportunity or choice, it's an imperative. To telling the story, how do we make sure that um, you know we're taking full advantage of any and all assets that are on the, the grid and at customer premises? Each episode, we delve into the world of energy, aiming to bridge the gap of understanding and challenge conventional thinking. Welcome, everyone, to the EI360 podcast. My name is Sandy Coughlin, and I'm joined with David Swank here today. And David, we are continuing our discussion on microgrids for the month of August. We just went to Stillwater. We had a really cool adventure there, I would call it, because we got to see amazing work that the Stillwater team is doing. But today, I will say I'm really, really super excited about because we have an amazing guest. Um, I would love to introduce him. Um, So I'm going to bring him onto the stage. David Victor is joining us from uh, California. He is a professor and director of, at UC San Diego School of Global Policy and Strategy. And David, welcome. We really appreciate you joining us today. Well, Sandy, it's great to be with you and David today. Awesome. I'll say, David, I think you have your work cut out for you because your, your panelists here that you're joining, one has 30 years of experience in the utility industry. He understands generation, transmission, distribution, and management of energy. And one is literally wakes up, turns the lights on, and is like, yay, happy. Uh, but I will say that I, too, I think I represent a majority of the population when I say I have an appetite to learn more and to understand better how the regulatory framework works for microgrids and how that's helping to shape our future. So I am going to sit back and listen and be a student today, and I'm going to let David Swank take it from here. Well, Sandy, thank you. And again, David, thank you for joining us today. And and, um, not only is David a guest of our podcast today, but... Uh, David, we appreciate so much uh, your role as an advisory board member of NX, and uh, I've had the good pleasure of visiting with you on a number of occasions and have come to really appreciate uh, what your work you're doing and just really the overall um, efforts that you're making in the uh, energy sector and particularly decarbonization. I know we've had a lot of a lot of discussions about that. And so, you know, David, I think the thing we really, we want to turn this over to you and allow you to kind of enlighten our audience and share with them more about the work that you're doing. And also just to really kind of give your view about, you know, how we as a society need to be addressing um, decarbonization and how we should be addressing that as an energy sector. Uh, and what are some of the regulatory constraints that are around that? So again, thank you for joining us today. We appreciate it. And I'm going to turn it over to you to share with us some of these great insights. All right. Well, thank you very much, David. Let me make a few remarks and then kind of have a discussion that, that follows from there. I think it's pretty clear that we need to make big reductions in emissions. Ten years ago, especially in this country, it was not obvious that that was true. And not everybody agrees, but enough people agree that this is pretty much centrist American policy right now. There'll be changes at the federal level, changes in states. Direction travel is very clear. I think one of the ways we know direction travel is very clear is the number of companies that are signing up. Net zero pledges, all kinds of other arrangements. You know, a lot of the net zero pledges, hard to know what to believe because it's easy to say net zero, kind of hard to do it. But <clears throat> it's clear that companies are under a lot of pressure to, to do things about reducing emissions, and they're now out running experiments and learning and so on. And, and if you look at other places in the world, Europe most, uh, most prominently, you see a lot more pressure on those companies to, to do things. And, but that's now 
bleeding into the American system uh, and policies following, in some cases, policy is leading and so on. So you have this tremendous amount of pressure. Um, that's actually one of the reasons why I think we're making progress. Uh, we're not making progress to the degree that we're going to stop global warming at two degrees, widely discussed goal. I think that was never feasible. It's easy to set collective goals that nobody's responsible for. That's what happened through the UN system. So we'll change, we'll change that goal. We, we won't meet it. But 15 years ago, we were on track for four or five degrees of warming C centigrade above pre-industrial levels. Now we're on track for maybe two and a half to three degrees, more like 2.7, 2.8 degrees. So that's still a lot of warming, a lot of change, but it's not five. And that's one, that's I think the way to measure, to, to measure progress. I think the really, the question is, so now that firms and governments to varying degrees are focused on doing stuff, what are they gonna do? There's a really powerful result in energy modeling uh, almost everybody agrees. And, and as an academic, we're generally not in the agreement business. We're generally in the disagreement business. You know, people don't win Nobel Prizes by agreeing with everybody else. They, they, they make advances by disagreeing. And uh, <clears throat> one thing we almost all agree on is that an economy that decarbonizes is an economy that electrifies roughly doubling, maybe tripling the consumption of, of electricity, because we're going to electrify lots of end uses. We see this already with light duty vehicles. We're going to see this with medium duty vehicles as well, maybe some heavy trucks, a lot of industrial applications, maybe steel production, other things, heat pumps in houses and so on. So you're going to see a mass electrification and the places that are doing the most to decarbonize are also doing the most to electrify. So that's a really, really important result. And I think that then tees up what we should be watching for and some of the key regulatory challenges, which was, which was core to your, to your question, David. Um, an economy that's electrified doesn't tell you how you're gonna do the electricity. And we're gonna probably have a lot of renewables on the, on the grid. Uh, that's the lowest cost way in most settings for making big reductions in emissions. And that then raises the question of how do you achieve reliability? I don't think we're gonna be at 100% renewables. I think we're gonna be renewables plus other stuff, carbon capture and storage, maybe small modular reactors, hydro where that's available, maybe deep geothermal. You know, there's a lot of interesting, it's, it's a kind of, it's almost like the wild west in the energy business. You used to wake up in the morning and as Sandy said, you turn on the switch and you're grateful the lights are on. Now you wake up in the morning, you turn on the switch, you're grateful the lights are on. But what you do today is not the same thing that you did yesterday because the things are changing so much. And the business used to be, you wake up, you do the same thing you did yesterday. So totally different businesses. So much is changing right now. And the part of the change that I think is most interesting is this, is this potential role for decentralization of the grid. That there's going to be a role for central grids, macro grids, if you like, but then also a big role for decentralized grid systems, micro grids of various sizes, some really, really small, some bigger. Uh, our campus runs a 47 megawatt peak microgrid. So it's not really a microgrid at that point. It may more like a mesogrid. Uh, we've got three gas turbines as the backbone of that system, plus a lot of renewables and interconnection with the macro grid. So you're seeing all of these different configurations of grids. But if we don't do this in a way that keeps cost in mind and keeps reliability front and center and now also keeps emissions front and center, then we're going to fail in the mission. And I think that's the core challenge, both technologically and analytically, but then also in terms of business development is, is how do you decentralize the grid system where decentralization adds value while, while keeping or, or improving on reliability and, and attention to cost and driving emissions down. Yeah. You know, David, when you and I talked for, for the first time, I came away from that meeting just really appreciating uh, the, the, the uh, way in which you are addressing this from a very pragmatic way. I think people in a lot of times today are not taking the time to listen and understand of how, you know, 
research institutes like yours and leaders like yours are really looking at this in a very pragmatic way. I mean, you mentioned areas of reliability and affordability and all the things that play into this. And, and I know that's that's a big part of, of your research and things that you're doing. And I know you recently wrote a book, uh, The Climate Fix. And I think there's a lot of things in that book are about that are pragmatic that are you know really uh, that allow us to take the the necessary steps to the next the next level the other thing i want to i'd like to just share a thought on I, I like you know of course working in the third the, the utility industry for 30 plus years and and seeing that you know this this process being mainly you know centralized generation and being a linear process i'm excited about the decentralization because i think it affords us the ability to be more efficient to uh, manage load more effectively. And I've, I've always been a big proponent of uh, load management and it's easier to do that when in many cases you have decentralized generation. But, but David, in terms of that kind of that pragmatic approach and, and just that logical approach, and, and I think you lay that out in many, in many ways in your book, The Climate Fix, could you, could you touch on that a little bit? Yeah, so that book, which is a co-authored, uh, it's fixing the climate. I think somebody else wrote the climate fix. Um, the fixing uh, the climate. I apologize. I missed. It's like that. those. It's like those refrigerator magnets. You know, you are <laughs> moving around, and and you get the title of a book. That's that's basically, I think, what the, yeah, the, the yeah. PR department and, and the publisher does. Um, but maybe I don't understand fully what they do. Um, <laughs> so, it's fixing the climate. It's a book with Chuck Sable, and it's uh, it's it's a book about how do organizations make decisions when they're highly motivated to act, but they don't know what to do. Yeah. Um, and there's a classic distinction in risk and in, in decision analysis between risk and uncertainty. Risk is where you don't know what the outcome is going to be, but you can know how to characterize a range of different outcomes. And one of the classic responses to that is have a run a portfolio. Uncertainty is different, especially deep, what might be called deep uncertainty. It's where you don't know what the possible outcomes are. You don't know how to characterize the uncertainties. And so you have to, you have to learn about what's possible and what's not possible. Um, Chuck and I call these experiments and, and the logic, what we lay out in the book is, is, is the logic of experimentalist governance. It's organizations are motivated to do things. Think of all these companies that are now motivated to take the climate change problem seriously and cut emissions. So they're setting net zero goals and they don't have any, most of them have no clue how they're going to do this. So they set those goals and then they either department issue a press release and then they hope nobody notices. But the companies that are taking it really seriously are the ones that are then going off and running experiments. Microgrids is a great example. You have lots of companies that, in part because they have reliability needs that are beyond what the grid itself can provide, that are interested in microgrids, putting them in, they're trying to figure out what works, what doesn't work for them very quickly assessing that. And, and that kind of experimentalism is, is how we take a problem that seems daunting because of the uncertainty and actually move faster because we're actively trying to reduce the uncertainty and learn and learn about that. And I've had the pleasure, I mean, to point up about pragmatism, I've had the pleasure for three decades now working very closely with uh, EPRI, Electric Power Research Institute, their sponsor of our research here at UCSD, UC San Diego. And um, we've with them done a lot of work on electrification and microgrids and the integration of microgrids into the macrogrid. And and one of the one of the things when you're involved in this pra pragmatic scholarly research is you learn so much from people who are trying stuff out there in the yeah. real world. Yeah. And one of the things we've learned is that one of the big uncertainties going forward is what's going to happen to all of this load, this new load? What's the load profile going to be? Electric vehicles in particular, when are people going to charge? And that can have a big impact on the reliability of the grid and the overall cost of building out the grid system. Yeah. yeah. No, that's very good. They're very good, David. And I, and I, I tell you, we appreciate so much, uh, the leadership you're providing on so many fronts and here even at NX and 
Uh, we're excited about uh, your helping us to better understand. As you just said, we're, we're working with you on, you know, on a lot of experimentation, if you will, and, and we're very uh, encouraged by uh, the opportunity to work with you and many of the projects you're on. And I agree with you. We need more, you know, open-mindedness to, uh, we don't know what we don't know. And I think there's a lot yet to know about how this electrification can come about and how we can do it more efficiently. Yeah. And I think we need to get more comfortable telling people about the things we don't know, just as you just said, David, but also things we've tried that didn't work. Yeah. There's a, there's a bias in the literature and in what we tell the public around things that worked or things we pretend that worked. Yeah. And if we're really going to move fast and not break too many things, I mean, moving yeah. fast and breaking things works when you Silicon Valley and, and um, the software patch can be put in place. Moving fast and breaking things when you're also providing electricity and people expect reliability doesn't really work. And so we have to learn how to move quickly and, and the whole world is going to benefit from us talking more about the things we've tried that didn't work in addition to the stuff that did work. Yeah. Yeah. Well, David, I hope that you'll uh, come back and join us again, because I think there's so much more we, we can unpack. And, and on this journey that, that we're on, we, I think uh, having you come back on a regular basis and share more and more with the audience about you know, some of the key findings and just to share those experiments or those experiences that you're having in your journey would be outstanding. So thank you so much. And Sandy, I'll turn it back to you, but thank you, David, so much for being a part of this podcast today. Well, thanks to you, David. It's really a pleasure to be working with, with NX on this, especially because you're looking at lots of different grid systems, big systems on military bases and smaller systems in a variety of different applications. And it's that diversity is key to learning quickly. Good point. Well, I echo David's sentiment. We hope this is the first of many discussions and we appreciate your time. Um, I'm going to also recommend David's book and I'll put a link uh, at the end of this podcast so everybody can go check it out. But thanks sure so much for joining us. Sure, Sandy, to make sure that you correct my... Uh, I'll spell it correctly. <laughs> <laughs> I just have to rearrange it a little. <laughs> I don't know All right. who, whose book that is. I'll give you a clue. David's his name. You figure that out from there. <laughs> Thanks so much for joining us on this on this episode. We appreciate your time and we will see you next time. Excellent. Thanks. Bye now.